Praise God. Everybody happy to be here this morning? Amen. Amen. Well, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 23. I'm going to let Scripture do a little bit of talking to us this morning. Pastor asked me some time ago to consider this topic, and i got to be honest with you, I've never taught uh, from this topic, uh, so uh, you are the guinea pigs today. Amen. And uh, But I would like to let some Scripture set the uh, opening precedence, if you will, and Matthew 23, he probably has it on the screen already, doesn't he? No. Matthew 23 and verse 25 says this, we might as well get right into it right away, right? Amen. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first, everybody say first, that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside then may also be clean. The message Bible says, stupid Pharisees, score the insides, and then the gleaming surface will really mean something. Amen. So what we're talking about today is our culture of clean, and with a subtitle of drawing near. Just by mention of the title itself probably has, in your mind, taken you a few places, but I don't think I'm going where you think I'm going. 1 John chapter 1 and 5 says this, This then is the message which we have heard of him, and declare unto you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him, Kononia, if I'm pronouncing that Greek word correctly, it, it means a partnership or a participation or an intercourse or intimacy with him. If we say we have all of those things and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have No sin, we deceiveth ourselves, and the truth is not in us. And a verse that I have prayed for the bulk of my life and continue to pray is, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. One more verse in uh, the same book, chapter 3, verse 1. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath, bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knoweth him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that we shall be, that, uh, excuse me, that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man, every person that has this hope, the hope of seeing him, And the hope of being like him has something to do further. He has this hope in him. He will purify or cleanse himself because God himself is clean. Amen. Amen. Just as a way of introduction, let me lay a foundation. Sometimes foundations are very boring. We don't often, when building a new house, stand around and gawk at the foundation. But if you will hang in there with me, we really are going to get someplace really awesome here, I believe, at the end. The concept of clean and unclean, in the Hebrew it's tahor, T-A-H-O-R, tahor, clean, and unclean, teme, T-A-M-E. That concept is one of the most key and comprehensive underlying themes in all of the scripture. Brother, if you can get Leviticus chapter 10 back there, verse 10, I'd appreciate it, otherwise I'll, I'll turn to it if not. Excellent. You can see it very clearly here in one of the more famous verses, and that you may put a difference between holy and unholy and between Tameh and Tahor. You can see this concept and principle from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. I will talk about that next week, but not today. And a few generations later, the Hebrew words first appear in the Bible, Tahor and Tameh, clean and unclean, as Noah is beginning to load the animals into the ark. I asked this once in a class that I was teaching, and I was really shocked. I'm sure you will know the answer to this, and I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'll just use my class as the example. 
I asked them, how many animals or how many pairs did Noah load into the ark? And everybody, just about everybody in the room said, it's by twos, male and female. And I looked bewildered. I didn't expect that answer. And Genesis uh, 7 and 2 tells us that that's not true, that they actually loaded seven pairs of clean and pair of unclean in the ark. And that's a, an example of how a, a tradition can take a form of a truth. If it's repeated enough in Sunday school, or if it's said enough across the pulpit, or if you just believe everything that's said, there can become a tradition, can become a truth in your life. And what we're doing with AOD and the direction and the vision that we have at Antioch West is not attempting to be better than people, but attempting to follow the strict vision of Jesus Christ and root all tradition out of our lives and our thinking. Can I get an amen? Amen. The theme... Clean and unclean runs through the scripture, as I've said, even into the last book of the Bible. If you could put Revelation chapter 19, verses 7 up there, it would help me immensely. Thank you, brother. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him, for the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. Next verse. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Next verse, I think. And he said unto me, write this blessed, uh, right blessed are they which call on the marriage supper of the Lamb, and he shall, and he said unto me, these are true sayings. It, it, it really is interesting. The bride is called to make herself ready. Not be perfect, but to make herself be ready. And the word there. Clean is the word, I can't pronounce it, karthos. It's the Greek equivalent of tahor or clean in the Old Testament of the Hebrew language. What I'm trying to show you is that this is not a subject relegated to the pages of what we call the Old Testament. That this is a subject that you will even see depending on your theology in the millennial reign. In Ezekiel 44 through 46, we most believe that's the Ezekiel, uh, the Ezekiel reign, praise God, is the millennial reign. And even clean and unclean distinctions are made there. In other words, this is a topic that is from the beginning until the end of your Bible, and we shouldn't ignore it. Amen? Amen. The word there, clean, as I just said, is the word for clean or pure. Interesting, uh, Pastor Joel, the word white there, we often, especially in our American culture with our 200 years of terrible history in this realm, we often associate color with color. And, but it's really not that in the Hebrew. I'm already getting off track here. I do apologize. But it is the white, the word white there is lampos. It literally means radiant, bright, brilliant. It really has little to do with the color white itself. It has more to do with a shining or a, a brilliancy about you. Your fire shall always be burning. It's evidenced in Acts 10 and chapter 30, which we'll talk about a little more next week. And Cornelius said, four days ago, I was fasting until this hour. And at the ninth hour, I I prayed in my house, and behold, a man stood before me in bright lampas apparel. So while we all can't be, and I am certainly not a Hebrew or a Greek scholar or an educated man, believe it or not, at all formally, we, all, we don't need to be a Greek scholar or a Hebrew scholar to get some of these meanings, and hopefully they will bless you today. In, biblical, in the biblical realm, there are only two states at least described in the Bible, that a person can be found in. And that is clean or unclean. Especially as it pertains to coming into the temple or into the presence of God. You are either one or you are the other. There are only two states. There is no third option. Amen. (laughs) What state are you in? Do I have your attention? We're going to make it right, don't worry. But it is a truth. You are either in this state or you are in that state. There's no third option. Just like there's, in, there's two kingdoms found in Scripture. The kingdom of this world where the economy of it, if you will, is sin, death, and darkness and its ruler, Satan. And in the kingdom of light, Jesus Christ's kingdom, it is the, the economy, if you will, is righteousness, peace, and joy, and Jesus is the king. There's no third option. I didn't 
expect to get a lot of amens there, but I want to say it again. There is no third option. Amen. Before we go any further, let's, uh, let's just define some words and tell Brother Trombley, calm down, Brother Trombley. Amen. I get so wound up. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines clean as free from dirt or pollution, uh, a change of clothing. Paul sort of alludes to this. And, and see, this is the importance. Uh, I'm still kind of old-fashioned. I still use my Bible. I still have handwritten notes. And that takes a little bit of time. Pray for me that I'll be converted to that gigantic iPad over there at, at some point. That would really be awesome if I could trust it. Amen. You see, when you learn of these terms and when you begin, your, your understanding becomes enlightened, you'll see the New Testament writers and apostles allude to these things in a, such a way that you now will see. For instance, uh, verse 17 of Ephesians 4 says, This I say therefore and testify unto the Lord that you henceforth walk, not as the Gentiles walk, another word that takes us all the way back to the garden for another lesson, in the vanity of their mind. We've been talking about our hearts and our minds. Having the understanding darkening, being alienated from the life of God through the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart. Who being past feelings have given themselves over to lasciviousness to work uncleanness with greediness. Paul knew the word he chose. He goes on to say, If so uh, be that ye have heard him and have been taught of him as the truth is in Jesus. And here's the concept displayed for you of clean and unclean that we'll get to. That you put off concerning the former conversation or manner of life, if you will, the old man, which is, everybody say, corrupt. It is corrupt according to deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and that you put on the new man which is after God created in righteousness and true holiness. Somebody say process. Because the very next verse tells you, it, he, Paul showed you the concept of clean and unclean. It's a putting off and a putting on. It's one state or the other. But he doesn't want you to think, as a legalist does, he doesn't want you to get all crossed up that way. So he says, wherefore, or because of everything I just said, now he's going to give you some practical ways to do it. Putting away lying, speaking uh, truth to every man and his neighbor. He goes, don't be angry and sin. It goes on and on and on. In other words, going from one state to the other, putting off and putting on is a process. I remember, I remember my grandmother has been departed a long time. She was a good old Methodist lady. And, you know, we, every once in a while, my parents would go out and go away. My dad was a Zenith dealer, my stepdad, and they would take trips. And they left us with our grandparents. And Oh, boy, that was terrible. They were just not with it at all. I remember sitting as a little boy. I don't know how old I was, maybe 10, 11. And... Sitting at the table, we had to wash our hands, very old-fashioned place, and, and I must have said something. I don't even know what I said, but I said something that wasn't right. It was a cuss word. And the next thing I know, my mild-mannered grandmother grabbed me by the hand, got up, grabbed me by the hand, and like a dog on a leash, I understood this wasn't an option. I was going wherever she was going to take me. <laughs> And we walked through one door. We had a little bathroom. They had a little bathroom where you washed your hands, just a, just a washroom. And she took me in the washroom. And, I, and, and I'm telling her, I already washed my I thought I was in trouble for not washing my hands because we were, that was a serious event. You know, and I'm, I, didn't, I washed my hands. I washed my hands, you know. And next thing I know, out comes a bar of lava soap. Y'all know what that is? Man, I think I've sanded some drywall patches with lava soap. It's so coarse. It's tough, man. And she proceeded to put that lava soap in my mouth. And she was going to wash that cussing spirit right out of me. <laughs> Hallelujah. How many know that was behavioral modification? <laughs> that was not heart deep change going on there. She was going to curb that behavior. She didn't really care whether my heart followed suit or not. Amen. Notice, I want you to notice, I want, I want to labor here a little bit. And brother, if you could put that PowerPoint slide up. I'll transition into it here in a minute. 
as pertaining to two states, I really am going to take some time to make sure you understand what I'm not saying. Okay? When I say two states, notice I didn't say perfect or imperfect. Notice I didn't say, or even hint to, arrived or not arrived. Because the difference between the two states, clean and unclean, is only realized in the active participation of the process or in the process of being perfected. I really need you to hear that. Because I don't think you got it. You're not going to arrive while you're robed in this flesh. You're not called to arrive. You're not called to think I got it all together or I dot this I, I cross this T or because I don't do this or I do do that and look at others and say, I've arrived. I'm somehow spiritual. You don't arrive, you abide. He's got this, this lovely, 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 uh, PowerPoint slide that I created. I actually ran it by Brother Yu, the tabernacle experts, to make sure that I wasn't way off base here, because I've never seen this before, but it kind of came to me. And it, 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 what it does, it shows the, the circles show the separate yet connected process of the tabernacle. In other words, you have the brazen altar where repentance and death happens. You have the bronze laver where baptism and burial happens. And you have the holies of holies where the Holy Spirit and resurrection are, are typified or actually happen. And then I just put the Hebrew and Greek words for clean and unclean and showed you that the beginning of this process is death, the end of the process of life. But in the middle, there's this process of separate events, but yet they're connected. And if you step off anywhere in the process, you are no longer involved in arriving. I thought you'd be happy about this at West because we are really attempting to beat a cultural mindset out of you that you have inherited. If you're looking for a place to arrive, to be somebody, oh, Brother Trump, that won't be like you. You know the Hebrew and Greek. You You don't know me. You don't know me. You don't know the eight cups of coffee and the ten trips to the bathroom and driving my wife crazy before I got here was just part of that process of me dying and being humble. You don't know me, but if you have to arrive, if you must become somebody holy, if you must become super spiritual with your little cape on, then I do have a place that you can arrive to. It's called the process. And you never outgrow it. Never outgrow it. You never get beyond it while you're robed in this flesh. And therefore, you shouldn't be pride. You shouldn't let haughtiness come in. You should stay humble at the fact that God has me in the process. I want you to understand that I'm fully aware that I'm teaching the cream of the crop. I'm preaching or teaching to born-again people. I'm preaching to people. Some of you are ministers, licensed or otherwise. Some of you are elders, deacons, small group leaders. I understand my audience this morning. But not one of us, not one of you, not me, not him, are in our glorified bodies yet. We are still inside this mortal body which is capable of being corrupted. The only difference is we have been born of incorruptible seed. First Peter says, being born again, not of incorruptible seed, of corrupt, uh, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. But our flesh is capable of being corrupted. That seed that God put in you when you were born again is still growing. It's still maturing. You have not reached maturity. Somebody say amen. So let's begin with a summary of defining the words, if you will. Tahor, clean in the Hebrew, literally means to be clean, pure, untainted, to be bright, to be sound, and to be transparent or clear. The unclean, teme, literally means to be unclean, impure, defiled, polluted, or to be foul. Just a few more definitions, hang in there with me. Sometimes the word can be used in the Hebrew to wash clothes or wash oneself as demonstrated in Numbers chapter 8 and 7. It can also be used 
as pertaining to gold, as in Exodus 25 and 11, it says you shall overlay the ark with pure, or tahor is the Hebrew word gold. Interestingly, both of those words start with the Hebrew word tet. The Hebrew is a wonderful language because it, it has so many meanings, so many ways that it means. It has the aspect of phonetics, and it has the aspect of pictographic or pictorial. And, and in pictorial Hebrew, it means those two letters mean a basket or what you're surrounded with. So today I want you to ask, what's in your basket? Because that's what we're really talking about today, is what's inside of you. I don't care what's on the outside. The wonderful thing about being half blind is that I miss so much. My wife says to me sometimes, did you see this? Did you see that? And I can say, no, I really didn't. Amen. Being teme or unclean is not necessarily only a physical condition. Think about what I'm saying, because I think you've been taught the other. I'm sorry if that's too bold. I do apologize. But there are just some things in Christianity that, that again, have become a truth, but are really just a tradition. And I'm, I'm not going to solve all those for you today, but I'm going to cause you, hopefully, in Jesus' name, to think about it. Being to me is not a physical condition, but it is a state which is declared upon a person who came in contact with many things, but primarily we'll just say the dead or disease or other prohibited things. I think you can see this weighed out, not that I'm defending the Levite and the priest and the story of the Good Samaritan, but this is their rationale why they didn't bother to help that guy that was half dead. They walked on by him because they were on the way to Jerusalem and they didn't want to be defiled. Because if you are defiled or clean or unclean, then you have to wait seven days or whatever the situation calls for before you can go in the temple or the process or offerings to God. And they didn't want to do that. I'm not saying they're right. I'm just bringing a little context to that story. Amen? Being declared to may or unclean prevents you from entering the temple, i.e. into the presence of God. At least for a set amount of time until you are allowed to transition from one state to another. There is many examples, but if you touch the dead or if you're in the da, which is uh, children. Do we have children here? This is a woman's cycle because that cycle represents a death, right? A dying of the seed, or the, whatever that is, the embryo. Amen. Praise God. Teme, unclean declaration, is God's way of saying that the state you're in is opposed to me and my kingdom, and there must be a transition. Amen. Why? Because he alone establishes the guidelines for intimacy. He alone, not you. Oh, not me. You all right? Everybody Okay. God alone establishes the approach to his presence. He alone establishes the guidelines to intimacy. Amen. Leviticus chapter 6, not in the notes, but, it, but it's a great story. I'm sure you've read it when you were able to sleep at night and you opened to Leviticus 6 and said, perfect. I don't need Psalmonex or whatever it is. I, I just need Leviticus 6. But it's a wonderful story if you know what's going on there. God says essentially to the high priest, look, after a long, hard day of dealing with burnt offerings, i.e. people getting right with God and coming into my presence, after a long day of that, I want you to put off your clothing and put on linen breeches, and I want you to take out the ashes that were offered from the night before, and I want you to take them outside the camp into a clean place, and then I want you to come in, and before you deal with today, I want you to change clothes again. The moral of the story there is many, but but yesterday is a cash check. You can't get it back. You gotta let that thing go. You can only deal with today. You can't use yesterday's garments for today's. And and it says that the fire shall be ever burning upon the altar, and it shall never go out. There will always be a brightness in you. Amen. These laws, just a few more things. These laws were established for our protection and our safety when coming into the presence of God in a state of temei means death. How much more would we prepare, Pastor Joel, for, the pres- for, for, for a gathering, for a small group, 
if we really uh, might give this some credence, that we will repair our souls. But only preachers actually do that. And, you know, we're the only ones that are required to do that. You can ask uh, some guys named Nadab and Abihu, probably not pronouncing that right, about coming into God's presence the wrong way, but oh yeah, they got killed. What I'm really trying to get across today is that our culture of clean is really a culture of drawing near. If there's anything I hope that we're going to establish here is that at Antioch West, is that we want to draw near to God and have Him draw near to us. I should know this, but I'm going to look it up because you may not believe this, but I'm nervous. Amen. Uh, James chapter 4 and 8, I believe it is. Pray it is, is it? Draw nigh to God, and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinner, and purify your hearts. You don't, Well, I'm not a sinner. Really? Oh, oh, that's right. You're the, that people I was talking about earlier that arrived. You've arrived, right? I know I haven't. As a matter of fact, the longer I live, the more I realize how really messed up I am. <laughs> I, I knew I was a mess when I was younger, but I thought a large portion of that mess had to do with y'all. Everybody else was the problem. But now I realize I was really a project. And I still am. You see, anatomy of a disciple is not possible without nearness. Oh boy. AOD is not possible without the activity of the Spirit. We must be a people marked by His presence. It is where we are clean, clear, sound, and bright. Brother, could you bring me that bag? I wasn't going to do this, but I just decided I might do it. It might work. It might not. I'm not a prop guy. I hate prop preachers. I really do. Not literally, but it's just not my thing. Forgive me. But I was teaching a Bible study. If you're listening, hello, Rachel. God bless you. Thank you for being used of God. I was teaching a Bible study to a young lady about Genesis 26 and about trying to relate to her her image, uh, the image of God and her identity and how that relates. And all of this stuff, there was a candle sitting there in their living room. <laughs> and I, I don't know, I just happened to look at it and these thoughts came out and I remembered back studying Hebrew word image and Pastor Joel has alluded to it as an idol and things of that nature. It's surprisingly deeper than, than we go and I don't have time to go into that today. Uh, but we think of this as a what? It's a candle, right? Right? Is it? If you are going to reflect the image of God, what does that mean? Does it mean that... Does it mean that uh, I reflect the image of God? Because if it does, he has a problem. I don't think they got that. No. <laughs> Thank you. That's kind of the way we think as Westerners, as Greek, if you will, Greek uh, thought. It's the essence of a thing, the substance of a thing that defines it. I'm a human being because the essence of me is a human being. But in Hebraic thought, it's not so. This is not really a candle until it's operating in its calling. Its function and purpose. And without going deep into the definitions today, that's really what this word means. God is interested in you functioning brightly, shining clearly. The candle is just a candle, if you will, in its essence and what it is. And you're a human being in your makeup. But I would suggest to you that you're really not a human being until you actually are lit by God, until you are functioning in His purpose. Then you become a true reflection of God. <laughs> Proverbs 20 and 27 says, The spirit of a man 
is the candle of the Lord. Praise God. You with me? GP, are you with me? You know, it, it, while I turn to Psalms 51, a very familiar Psalms, what we, we really ought to give Pastor Wright, I, I know he's going to hate this, but a little bit of a hand praise because he really makes this all look so easy. We are so blessed to have him as our pastor. We really are. <laughs> Truly. David said very famously, Behold, oh, no, he didn't say that. He did say that too. But verse 10, he says, Create, every time I read this verse, I hear Keith Green. <laughs> that song, one of the first songs I ever heard when I was first saved, if you will. Created me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. David uses the word bara, which is a Hebrew word used in creation, and God created. In other words, David's really making a statement, I'm too far gone. I can't be formed like you formed Adam out of the dust of the ground. I can't, you can't press this back into shape or mold this back into its original form. I've done too much damage. I've gone too far. God, if you're going to do anything, you're going to have to create it all over again. You ever been there? I've been there so many times. But it's such a wonderful thing to know that God can and will and is willing to create in me a clean heart. Oh, praise God. It's like talking about the blood. How can we talk about the blood without praising God? I do not know. We're riding in this morning and that old song, I think by Tremaine Hawkins was on. Uh, well, how's it go? Sing it to me, honey. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I think she's turning red. <laughs> Change. What a wonderful change has come over my life. And I had trouble driving, to be honest with you. I was trying to not let my wife see, but I'm over there crying because of the change that God, the mess that God cleaned up in me. If you only knew me. Without the Spirit work, without the activity of the Spirit, you are going to be so frustrated trying to implement AOD in your life. You cannot and will not effectively participate in the process of being humbly submitted, being biblically formed, being sacrificially generous, being morally discerning, being relationally healthy, being intentionally blessed, being culturally engaged, and being part of an inclusive community while you are stuck in an unclean state. Inside. Inside. If what feeds the heart is not clean, it's not cleansed. If the heart is not fed from a clean brook, it will lose its hope. And when the heart loses its hope, you will end up with an empty core. Yeah. I don't care how much you teach it. I don't care what you wear to church. If your core and your heart, if your heart loses hope, Let me, let me just, uh, I stumbled into something when I was teaching Saturday that I realized was actually for today. So let me just play around in that. All right. You said I got another two hours. Amen. <laughs> I do want to go somewhere, though. There's some place I believe the Lord with all of my heart has given me to share with you today. And we'll get there in a few minutes, I think. But Psalms chapter, uh, is it 7, verse 9 says, Again, King David saying, oh, Lord, he's speaking to the Lord. Oh, let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end. Amen. But establish the just for the righteous God. Uh, excuse me. But establish the just, colon. Which means what's about to follow has to do with what preceded it. Which means we're talking about God establishing righteousness, right? The just. For righteousness for the righteous God trieth the hearts and the reins. Again, just an atrocious interpretation. Terrible. The word reins there is the Hebrew word for kidneys. What does it mean to have God? We know what it means for God to try our heart. We've learned that through AOD and the wonderful teaching we've had. But what does it mean for God to try our kidneys? And that's probably what the King James 
translators said, this makes no sense. We're going to have to put something else in here. But the original Hebrew word, look it up for yourself, is kidneys. It's a Hebrew idiom and a truth, which means thoughts and emotions, if you will. Reigns is the word kidney. God tries the hearts and the kidneys. Why? It goes back to what I just said through the flow of the Holy Ghost, that if your heart is not fed from a clean brook or a clean organ, it will lose hope. Kidneys filter the blood to the heart. It's the body's filtration system. It filters waste out and pumps clean blood, if you will, or filters out the impurities. It maintains also the fluid level of the body. In other words... The heart and the mind and the kidneys are all connected spiritually as they are in the natural. It's the natural that reveals the spiritual. And they they reveal to us something that if we leave out this one step, we're going to get frustrated. And now some of the verses in the Old Testament that really don't make any sense to us. We cringe at talking about sacrifice. He says in Exodus 29 and 13, and thou shalt take all the fat that... I, I see people checking the Hebrew. That's just a kind of a scary thing. You, you better not make any mistakes. They're on their phones. That's great. And thou shalt take the fat that covereth the inwards and the call that is uh, above the liver and the two kidneys and the fat upon them and burn them upon the altar. Let's set aside the, the, the reality of that sacrifice because I know some of you are very sensible, sensitive animal lovers and I don't mean to disrespect that. But now with just a simple little insight to a simple little word behind the word rain, you see that there might be more significance. Let me read this to you, what I wrote. Now we know fat absorbs and stores various drugs and toxins much longer than the other tissues. It's the reason labs can detect certain drugs ingested in the body for weeks after use. It's where forensic pathologists go to discover toxins weeks, months, and sometimes even years after death. The fatty tissue is a spongy, is, is a sponge for many chemicals. The kidneys and the livers are the filters for the body. Like vacuums, they sweep away toxins from the blood circulating through our body and provide elimination of those dangerous elements. Perhaps, and I say perhaps with a sarcastic overtone, perhaps God in His holiness requested the dirtiest, most dangerous parts of the animals in a burnt offering, not only for the health of the Israelis that would consume them, but to show us that He can clean even the worst parts of our lives. He takes our sins and removes them. Praise God. He takes our sins and removes them so we can stand in His presence. He wants us to take, He wants to take the worst out of us and destroy us. He wants to purify us. He wants to cleanse us if we will let Him. Praise God. Again, before we go to the final place of resting for this lesson, there are only two states that can be found in the Bible, clean and unclean. What are they in Hebrew? Tahor and Tameh. Tahor is clean, Tameh is unclean. Amen. The, this, this teaches us some principles. Today we're in precedent, I think. We're, I'm laying a precedent for you to draw upon. You know, the most confident lawyer in a criminal court is he or she that has precedent, case precedent. I'm giving you case precedent today to call in the name of God. You said you wanted to cleanse me. Now I understand what it is. God, I come to you with precedent. Help me because I know I'm not as clean as I could be. Case precedent. Next week we'll deal with principles. But one principle here is that I, I hope you see is life does not mix with death. Sin does not mix with righteousness and the sacred with the profane. In Ezekiel 22 and 26, it says, they, speaking of the children of Israel, they made no difference. They showed no distinction. They showed no difference between the clean and unclean, and thereby, I am profane, God said. I am defiled. We can defile or profane God? By what's going on in the inside? Somebody say, ow. Leviticus 14, and we will head for the runway. How's the old guy doing? (laughs) Thank God for the eastern shore. It's almost cured me of my need for an amen. (laughs) 
<laughs> Love you, Brother Hyde. <laughs> Amen. So before I read what I'm about to read, let me say that what I'm really trying to communicate to you today and what we're really trying to talk about or focus on is the story of the hidden beast within us all. And that may be a subplot of confronting the enemy within. I better not say that. Let's read. Leviticus chapter 14, verse 33. And the Lord said unto Moses and unto Aaron, saying, When thou come into the land of Canaan, which I gave unto you for possession, and I put the plague of leprosy in a house of the land of your possession. And we'll read on here in a little bit, and I'll attempt to do some mini expository preaching here in just a moment, but for the sake of setup, let me, let me say this, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 10, 12, and other places tell us that they are in or entering into the promised land. And God had warned them in other places, when you enter it and you eat from vines and plants and trees that you didn't plant, and when you, you live or move into houses that you didn't build, then beware. And this is, again, a, a fact, an archaeological fact, uh, not a religious fact, that they have excavated thousands upon thousands of these ancient Amalekites and other houses and dwellings, and almost in all of them they found some sort of an idol buried in the foundation or sometimes in the wall, along with a gold or a silver coin. And uh, even sometimes they found dead babies in there. They believed certain tribes, if you will, had some kind of ritual to sacrifice and then put that baby in that wall. It's uh, rather bizarre, I understand. But the thinking was, the, they say, was that uh, they knew the children of Israel were left Egypt, they had heard about it, they were on their way to them, and they were going to uh, conquer them, or at least we were going to have battle with them. So the thinking was, either we're going to run away and flee and leave our houses, or we'll lose in battle. Either way, we'll leave some money and an idol here, so when they will protect the house, and bring curses to the Israels when they take them over and we come back and we'll take that house over again. Did I, did I explain that okay in a nutshell? You see, it's the foundation of your lives where things are often hidden. <laughs> you may not believe this, you may think that you've been around here a long time. And again, I said, the longer I've been around God, living, walking with God, the more I realize this is true. It's only the young that don't realize it. I had a lot of things in my foundation that God needed to root it out. My former inhabitants left behind things in my life. My walls were breached. I'm just, just trying to take my time. Uh, I, have the, I don't want to get my New York on. Let me set a little bit of, of more of a foundation, and then we'll get to the point. Now, now, you need to remember that biblical leprosy is not uh, Hansen's disease we know of today. There, there is a difference. Uh, biblical leprosy is a, from a word, zarahaf. How did I do? You, my wife saw me trying to practice this word, and I, I don't know if I did it well. But there, it can take on many forms. It can be in furniture, houses, people animals, whatever. It can appear in a lot of different places, and it, which really makes it a disease unlike any other disease because it has a medical condition, but it's also part spiritual pathology, if you will. And so what it really truly represents, and if I had the time, prove to you that the Hebrew word that I attempted to say, when you break it down into family groups etymologically, it literally means a physical manifestation of a spiritual issue. Literally. And so now you go through this uh, chapter and I'll, I'll try to... But I, I want you to see something. Who put the leprosy in the house? Come on now. You can admit it. Come on. And really, again, terrible translation because it doesn't literally refer to leprosy as we know it. It refers to a mark... It doesn't even say that there's a disease there in the Hebrew. It says a mark of a plague. So God says, when I put a mark of a plague in a house, it's because I want to heal it. 
It's because I need to reveal it before I can heal it. But it's never for condemnation. It's never for destruction. It's always for revealing and healing in your life. So, so he goes on, verse 36, he says, if I put this mark in the house, it's for this cause that I want to heal it. And they give this process that's pretty lengthy. And the priest says, first, you need to empty everything out of the house before I come in and inspect it. Sometimes we spend a lot of our lives listening to preaching that is designed to empty the house so that we can correctly diagnose what's in the house. We don't like that because we'd rather dance, shout, dance, shout, dance, shout, yay, yay. But sometimes you have to empty your house in order to see clearly what's in your house. It goes on to say, somewhere, here it is. <laughs> it goes on to say that the priest will look in the walls of the house and if he sees hollow strakes, which is a word for a depression in the wall, and greenish or reddish spots, then he will have to do other things. And, and I may just say spiritually if I could, that that could really represent a depression in your life. It could really represent, uh, what is it, green with envy and red with anger. So in a way, God is drawing out these three aspects of your life. When you see these crop up in your life, it's the mark of God, but not for condemnation, not for you to beat yourself up over, but that God wants to heal you of your anger. He wants to heal you of your envy. He wants to heal you of your pride. He wants to heal you. Don't tell me God can't heal depression. He can. He does. He will. You gotta let him. And then he goes on, the priest says, Okay. He goes on to say in verse 38, uh, the priest shall come again on the seventh day, and there's a seventh day waiting period. Somebody say that word, that P word. Process. Process. Not arriving. Process. Process. The funny thing is, God only requires us to be in the process. Verse 39 and 38, it talks about, uh, you know, it, 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 notice how God will go to such lengths to get us healed. He just doesn't come in and say, blow the house up, it's here. Because he put the mark there. <laughs> he knew it was there before you knew it was there. And he says, clean the house. I want to demonstrate it. Wait seven days. If it's there again, then we're going to take the stones that are affected out of the foundation or out of the wall. And then if that doesn't work, we'll scrape the entire house. I want to go to the length that I can in order to save this house. How does this apply to you? Well, obviously it applies because the Bible says, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And, and from the very beginning, I've said this many times, I'll say it again, the first word of the Hebrew Bible, Bereshit, or in the beginning, the three English words, is one Hebrew word, and the first letter of that Hebrew word is bet, and bet means a house in pictorial and phonetic language, it means the house. So by the first Hebrew letter of the first Hebrew word, God is telling you what he's all about. He's building a house, and who dwells in the house? The family dwells in the house. Mark 3 and 5 says Jesus comes to this place and he, and he, and he says, and they come to him and he's inside a house, I suppose, and he says, your family's outside, you better go get him, you better let him in. He looks around and he says, who is my family? But he doeth the will of God. If you're trying to do the will of God, you're in the house. And so we see garden principles all over. You want to boil this thing down to a nutshell? God is building a house, he wants to put his family in it, and just like the Garden of Eden, he's giving him a piece of land to do that on. Oh, God. <laughs> it's so simple when you look at things that way. Amen? In verses 39 through 43, it says, God will do whatever it takes. He'll take effective stones away. He'll scrape the house, which is often painful. He'll replace the plaster, which covers up what you're trying to hide. He replaces the mortar, your mortar, of things that are trying to hold the house together when he wants to make that house stronger and better than it ever was. And then he gets to the place in verse 44-ish that says, if it doesn't go away, then it's fretting leprosy. In other words, it's malignant. And it's unto death. And if I don't do something drastic in your life, anybody have anything drastic going on in their lives right now? 
It's because God wants to destroy you and your house to the foundation, not for the purpose of masochism, if that's a word, but for the purpose of building you a new house. You are the house of God. You are. <laughs> oh, my God. Let me give you just three steps and we'll finish. In Hebrews 12 and 2, it talks about that we need to lay aside every weight. We need to lay aside every fungus, every growth that may turn cancerous within us. It's not always about sin. Isaiah 55 and 8 talks about rebuilding a house. And if you're going to rebuild a house or have your house rebuilt by God, then you're going to have to change your thoughts and your ways. And if you're going to, God is going to build something, then you're going to have to build with new material. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. You have to be born again. The real tipping of the scale here lies within your ability not to harden your heart. We say we want things revealed to us. We want to go deep. But very few of us, when we get there, stay there. We'd rather change the outside of the cup. You go ahead and change the outside of the cup. But unless you've changed the inside first, it will actually, it does matter because you will end up twofold a child of hell. Because, because you can become prideful in what you are, your image. What you think you are is not what you really are. I hate to tell you that. What everybody may say to me, oh, good job, brother. That's not what I am. Don't get sold on the news press. You cannot hard your heart when God reveals things like this to you today. There must be a place, even in this uh, gathering, there must be a place, even in this gathering, where you respond somehow to let God know that my heart is not, you know, Pharaoh's heart was hardened. I used to think that was a terrible thing. God, how could you harden his heart? He was so close to letting him go. He was so close to becoming one of you. No, he was never close. He was nowhere near it. Hardening of your heart in the Hebrew literally means that he was convinced in his own way and determined to go his own direction. You know what the problem is of you not being soft enough to let your heart soften up? If you wait long enough, you'll convince God that you're not going to change. And when that happens, he himself will harden your heart. I've seen a few people in my lifetime crying at the altar, shedding great tears, saying they can't feel God. They want to know God. They used to feel God. They don't know what happened. And I go back to the seats back there and just lay my head in the pew going, God, have mercy on them. If there's any way you can unharden their hardened heart. And your heart doesn't become always hardened through sin. It becomes, even though that's true, but it, but it happens when you convince God that you are determined to ignore and continue in your own direction. Amen? Would you just stand for transition's sake and give the Lord some of your time just for a minute here? I'm not asking you to be loud. I'm just asking you to, in your own way, respond to God. Let Him know that Yea, Lord, my heart is open. My heart is softened. It's not hardened, Lord. Help me to receive these words today.